Hello everyone, thank you for joining today. My name is Byron Howell and this is the Byron Howell Ministries podcast. Today we are going to talk about everybody's favorite subject, obedience and obeying God and all the difficulties uh, in that area. You know, and I actually hope that as we go through some issues, this is going to bless you, this is going to help you. And and really, this is going to provide you with a great mental framework and some practical steps in your own obedience journey. And, you know, if you've ever felt like you are, are not obeying God or you feel like you regularly mess up or you want to change some behaviors, and maybe that applies to everybody. Maybe it should, but, you know, who knows? Uh, but if those things apply to you, then this message is for you. They definitely apply to me. And, and I'm just going to go through some stuff that's really helped me. And, uh, you know, I've had a long and, you know, difficult obedience journey. Thank God that his mercies are new every morning as the word teaches us. But, you know, this also, let me just say this message is for you, regardless of whether you are a brand new Christian or whether you've been a Christian for many years. Because unfortunately, a lot of the issues that we're talking about today, they don't just go away over time. And today, I really want to help you and encourage you in obeying God's directions for your life. And again, I'm going to try to keep this practical. And I also want to be brutally honest and open in this discussion, because I think that also helps. You know, obeying God is hard. And I know to the mature Christians hearing this, that statement probably sounds like blasphemy. I'm not saying that obeying God should be hard or that God wants it to be hard. I'm just saying that it is hard for the vast majority of people. It was certainly hard for me. And honestly, despite whatever you may think of me or see of me online, or if you know me, you know, in the church and the ministry context, look, it's still hard. And and the ways in which obedience is hard, you know, that, that can change over time. And yes, it should get easier, and in some ways it does, but in some ways it's still hard. So look, let me just spend a few minutes talking about my youth, because I want you to understand where I started in my obedience journey. And, you know, while teaching, I have several times made the comment that nothing about Christianity came naturally to me. And I use that statement to assure people that I don't think I'm perfect and I never want to put on any kind of holier than thou attitude. And so I want to be brutally honest, you know, because that statement is the truth. You know, there are some people out there just, you know, these amazing people. They grew up, they got saved early. They had, you know, these amazing lives and now they're in the full time ministry and they've never had wayward years. And, and you know, that's great. And praise God. And candidly, I wish that was my story as well, but it was not. It was not my story. You know, fortunately, my parents did have me in church and in a Christian school, and I prayed the sinner's prayer with my teacher in third grade. And I actually do believe I was saved at that moment, but it was a long 15 years or so before I committed my life to Christ. And, you know, in my childhood, my parents divorced, then they married each other again, and then they divorced again. And uh, I know that created some psychological problems. I was also, you know, uh, mercilessly ridiculed by my first grade teacher, you know, in front of the whole class. And that really meant I had no friends 
in the first and second grade. And in the third grade, I actually started making some friends by misbehaving, by, you know, acting out. And so my friends were the kids who also misbehave. And if you don't change that pattern, you end up being, you know, with people who do the wrong behaviors. And that's exactly what happened to me. I started drinking and getting high when I was 14. I started using stronger drugs when I was 16. And honestly, if my parents hadn't enforced a curfew, I'd probably be dead. And by the time I was in college, I got drunk and high every single day. And I regularly used harder drugs. And I could keep going on all the bad things in my life. You know, I watched the wrong movies. I listened to the wrong music. I went the wrong places. I did the wrong things. I hung out with the wrong people. I mean, you name it. Every kind of bad decision one could make, I probably have made it. And let me just say that, you know, when I talk about my past or the people in my past, I'm not trying to attack anyone or be degrading towards anyone. I should have just been hanging out with a different group. I should have been running with the church crowd. And basically, I ran with the opposite crowd. So while my outer life, for the most part, looked terrible, my inner life probably looked even worse. You know, I never got over the emotional issues from my childhood, fear of rejection, insecurity, parental problems, addiction, all sorts of other issues were always with me. You know, if you could think of all the opposites of the fruits of the spirit, whatever that would be, those were, you know, probably the fruits of my life. I mean, there is simply no explanation other than God for the fact that I'm alive today and I can get killed by someone or something. You know, just as an example, I remember one time when I was 20, I was in Barcelona in the middle of the night and I was completely, you know, blackout intoxicated and I was trying to buy some drugs and these dealers were leading me down this alley. And, you know, in, in a moment, in an instant, like this flash of a revelation, I realized these guys are going to hurt me. And it was totally God. It was totally God protecting me. And somehow he cut through everything going on in my brain and delivered me that message. And I, I got the message. I realized it was the truth and I ran away. And praise God, you know, if not for that, I, they might have killed me right there. I mean, who knows? But so I had some serious problems. And all those problems became deeply ingrained in me. You know, they grew roots physically and psychologically. And in May of 2004, at age 23, when I finally decided to devote my life to God, none of those problems instantly disappeared. You know, my obedience journey, if you will, has been a very long one and still going. And what I'm talking about today is, is what I've learned over this nearly 20-year journey. Now, Please stay with me because I want to talk about some spiritual realities here as we think about obedience. Yes, you can attempt your holiness journey or your obedience journey with a mostly physical perspective. You know, you're just going to white knuckle the addictions or you're just going to force yourself to make better choices. I mean, look, I'm not I'm not trying to say that that's necessarily wrong, that that's necessarily a, a bad idea. But if you understand some spiritual reality and a few key concepts, it's going to greatly help you. And these points have really helped me. In John chapter 3, Jesus explains that we must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And in 1 John 3, 9, John tells us that whosoever is born of God 
does not commit sin for God's seed is in that person. Literally in the Greek, it's sperma. I mean, God gives birth to us spiritually when we become born again. Really important concept to keep in mind. And for in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul tells us that if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. So it's important to understand that your true self, the real you, is a spirit. You are a spirit being and you inhabit a physical body. Now, look, that might sound weird. That might sound crazy. It's just the truth. You are a spirit and you inhabit a body. If your body dies, you will not cease to exist. You will leave your body and, you know, you will go. There could be basically different discussions about that. But basically, you're going to go to heaven or hell. One day, if you're a Christian, you will receive a glorified body. And we get an idea of that uh, after Jesus's resurrection. We see him in a glorified body. But we don't need to understand or really discuss any of that. You just need to understand for now, for this obedience discussion, that you are a spirit and you live in a body. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are instantly created anew, born again. Your physical body is not created anew. Your brain is not created anew. But the real you, your spirit, is born again. This is how you are a new creation. This is how God's seed is in you. This is how you are God's child. You, as a spirit, are born again, and you are born directly from God. Now, it might be hard to accept that because you didn't sense anything physical when you prayed the sinner's prayer. You didn't sense, you know, any kind of regeneration going on in your spiritual self. I mean, most likely if you did, I'd like to hear about it, but most people don't. But this is what the Bible teaches us. And for most of us, when we get saved, we don't really have much of a concept of, of spiritual reality or the spiritual realm. So it's not surprising that we wouldn't even think about this or experience this or, or really recognize it until we learn about it from the word of God. Now, your born again spirit is perfect and sinless in the eyes of God. Your born again spirit is also united with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, further contributing to this idea of a new creation. And while you may still make mistakes and sin in your body and in your mind, those sins do not touch your perfect spirit, which is now righteous with God's own righteousness. See Hebrews 10, 14 and 2 Corinthians 5, 21 for scriptural support on those points. Every sin you have ever committed and will ever commit has already been forgiven. It's already been covered by the blood of Jesus. You are, spiritually speaking, perfect and sinless and righteous. You are totally in God's grace and mercy and love and nothing can separate you from the love of God. That's Romans 8, 38. Please take a moment and consider those amazing and wonderful truths. Internalizing those truths into your mental framework, into your identity, will greatly help your freedom journey. You see, when you become born again, your spirit is recreated 
and you are God's perfect child. That is the simple reality. And when you make mistakes, it does not impact the fact that you are a perfect, sinless spirit in the eyes of God. But despite all the, ma the amazing things that happen to your spirit, nothing automatically happens to your body or your mind. It would be amazing if our bodies and our minds were also recreated and stripped of the effects of sin in our lives, but it just doesn't work that way. Our bodies and our minds still have the old memories, all the old roots, all the old addictions and muscle memories and all the old issues. And I recognize that at salvation, sometimes people receive miraculous deliverances from addictions or sicknesses and things like that. And praise God for that. That's wonderful, but it is not the norm. While your spirit is perfect, the moment you get saved, your body and mind are not and nothing happens to them. And just to be clear, this is why so many Christians, myself included, still make a lot of mistakes. And why do Christians, even prominent and longtime Christians, still make mistakes? Why do you and I still make mistakes if our spirits are perfect? It's because our minds and our bodies are not. While the perfection of our spirit is instant, the work for our minds and our bodies, specifically the work to renovate our minds and bring our bodies into subjection, is a journey. It is part and key to the obedience journey. So this is why the New Testament and all the scriptures directed to God's church and Christians are filled with directions for godly living, for holy living. You see, it's not automatic just because in the eyes of God, you're perfect and sinless and righteous and your spirit is born again and you can come boldly into the throne of grace and find mercy and you're totally in the love of God. Your body and mind are not perfected and God has to give us his directions, you know, many, many times throughout the, the word of God so that we can learn what he wants for our lives, the best way to live so that we can learn how our minds and our bodies should come into agreement with our spirits. So let's be honest, right? If we surveyed the New Testament, we could come up with a long list of rules that Christians are supposed to follow. And if a new Christian actually took the time to make that list, he or she might find it overwhelming and discouraging. If I am making all these mistakes, if I'm falling short of all these verses, how is God ever going to accept me? If I have to change so many aspects of my life, I'm never going to be good enough. God is always going to be mad at me. And on and on we could go. And now I pray that God helps me articulate this situation well, because these next points are extremely important. And this is going to set you free. This is going to help you if you go through thoughts like that. I want you to take all of God's rules and directions for Christian living and put them on one side. You could just visualize a list in your mind, for example, do whatever you need to so you can compartmentalize them and segregate them in your mind. Now, in the other compartment, I want you to put all of the statements about how God loves you, about how God cares for you and wants the best for you. I don't mean look them all up. You've probably heard many of them over the years. Just visualize a list of all those. 
Remember that God sent Jesus to die for you even when you were at your worst. Look at John 3.16 and Romans 5.8. You didn't have to do a single thing to earn your salvation. You never could earn it. You know that. God's greatest gifts are a free gift of God's grace. Think about all the verses about God's love and mercy and grace for you. So now in our minds, we have our two lists, our two groups of ideas, God's directions for holy living on the one side and all of God's statements about his love, grace and acceptance of us on the other. We must understand the correct interaction between these groups. You see, the interaction between these two groups of verses has been greatly misunderstood and wrongly taught by vast numbers of Christians for hundreds and hundreds of years. You must understand that the second group, with all of the verses about God's love, mercy, and grace for you, exists entirely independent of the first group, which is God's directions for your life. God loves you despite your sins, despite your mistakes. You are fully in God's love and grace despite any failures to follow his directions. You are God's beloved child from the moment you became a Christian and will nothing will ever change that. Now, when you understand those truths about the second group and God's love and grace for you, then you can correctly approach all of God's directions for your life. You can correctly start your holiness journey. All of God's instructions are in fact given to you because God loves you. Not so that you can earn God's love. You see, that God's love. That's the mental shift. The first group, the list of directions, are in fact born out of the second group. God's instructions are a gift of God's grace. They were not given so that you can earn God's grace. His instructions are an act of his mercy. They are not given to make sure that you stay in his mercy. Remember, we must grasp this. The instructions are because of God's love, because of our salvation, not to earn it. There are many people who have thought that God's love for them or goodness for their lives depended on their obedience. So they have worked through prayer, fasting, Bible study, and other means to consecrate themselves and live a holy life. You know, there are certainly worse ways to live. And I'm not trying to condemn those people. Good for them. A consecrated life is much better than a sinful life, regardless of how you got there. But let us, at least those of us who are still on an obedience journey, embrace this true reality for God's direction. God loves us to the max already, and our behavior will never earn any more of God's love. Our obedience will never earn any more of God's promises. They are all, all of God's directions, all of this, they are an act of God's love. And all of God's directions are meant to lead us into our best possible lives and the highest expression of ourselves. I know I've shared that thought many times and I don't want to be redundant, but I view that understanding as one of the greatest revelations of my life and it's worth repeating. So just remember, God's directions, no matter how difficult they may seem, are meant to bless you and help you to your best possible life. Before we move on to some practical steps, I do just need to share some thoughts on the results of disobedience because I don't want to be unclear. It's not Disobedience is not good. Failing to follow God's directions is not good. 
Jesus took all the punishment for your sins, and there is no more punishment for your sin. Please read Isaiah 53. But we live in a fallen world. And if you sow bad seeds and you're going to reap a bad harvest, that's not God's punishment. That's just the way life works. God's directions help you only to sow good seeds. And also there are many unclean spirits in this world and certain behaviors, unfortunately, open us to their influence and attacks. God's direction also help us avoid them. Look, I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, my my daughter and I, we turned on an episode of that show uh, Wednesday. And I knew, you know, pretty early on we made it. We made it for the through the first episode of Wednesday. But it, let's be honest, it's demonic. Right. There's gore. There's unclean spiritual things. It's demonic. And uh, I think it was two days later. I had a clear dream from God that you cannot open yourself up to this demonic stuff. And look, I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm not trying to attack anybody. But watch that show and tell me you don't think there's some unclean spiritual stuff there. You can't do it. Not with a straight face. And, and you know, so there are just things that we have to avoid. Things that we have to stay away from. Because there are many, many unclean spirits out there that want to attack us. And they're not really, I mean, yeah, they'll attack the, the random person. Sure, they hate everybody. But they definitely want to attack Christians any way they can. You know, another truth, unfortunately, is that if you don't align your life with God's direction, you will miss out on a lot of what he has for you. You'll miss out on knowing him intimately, which happens in this obedience process. You'll miss out on many of the works he has for you to do, which are all about love for others and which do require a certain amount of purity. That's just the way it is. See 2 Timothy 2.21. God is is not going to use a person who doesn't obey any of his di directions and lives in all the sins of the world. That's just the biblical truth. My point here is that in my obedience journey, I'm not working to earn God's love or God's mercy or God's promises. None of that can be earned. I'm working on my obedience because I love God and I trust that he wants what is best for my life. I trust that he knows the best way for me to live. So I'm going to follow his directions. So how do we start on this journey of obedience? And remember, a life of obedience or consecration isn't some weird monk life where you take the poverty vow and the chastity vow and all sorts of unbiblical vows. You know, a true obedience journey. I wish people you know, could really get a better picture of this. But look, a true obedience journey, a true holiness or consecration journey is simply where you begin following God's directions internally and externally, where you follow God's directions for your behaviors, but also for your attitudes and your mind. And personally, I think the right way to start is an honest conversation with God. You know, God, I see in the Bible that you have lots of directions for how I should live. I recognize that I could do better. Your word says that I shouldn't, you know, blank, blank, and blank. But I've done those for a long time. And honestly, I enjoy blank and blank. Please help me. You know, God knows it all anyway. You know, God's not bashful. God's not a prude. Just be honest with him. And look, God is not going to tell you to immediately and radically change every aspect of your life. That's just not how he does it. Yes, you could read the Bible and make a list and go that route. 
And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. And some people do that. I mean, look, look, some things need to change, but you don't need to try to change them all in one day. And you should be very careful there. Personally, I tried to radically change every area of my life in about a week. And that resulted in a lot of frustration, mistakes, a real Pharisee attitude. And looking back, I'm not proud of that at all. And it also led to a lot of broken relationships. And and frankly, I can still feel a lot of hurt about that. And I don't blame the other people in the slightest. It was me. It was me going going too crazy, too quick and becoming a Pharisee, you know, and all of that, you know. But anyway, I, I don't want to digress here. But my point is, you know, you don't need to try to change every aspect of your life in a day. What you need to do is focus on God and developing a relationship with him. And look, I think that rather than focusing on which behaviors you should stop, I mean, that's that's such a common thing where people get saved and whether it's pressure from church leaders or pressure from Christian friends or whatever, you just immediately start thinking about all the things you need to stop doing. Don't don't think like that. Instead, focus on the behaviors that you should start. And, you know, I think the directions in Galatians chapter five and the overall paradigm there is very helpful, you know, and what that says is walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. While that sounds kind of overly complicated and spiritually spiritual, what it basically means is that if you focus on doing the right things, you'll lose interest in and stop doing the wrong things. I think it's an extremely powerful point. You know, so start looking at adding the right behaviors to your life. Focus on reading your Bible, going to church, praying. Start listening to good Bible teachers and some Christian music. And I'm not suggesting that you go crazy spending every second of free time on these activities, but start spending some time with them, even a daily routine with a short prayer and Bible study time and church on Sundays. That alone is a great way to start, and it's not really a heavy lift. Reading books by Kenneth E. Hagan, for example, he's gone to be with the Lord now, but all his books are still available everywhere. Those books had a huge impact on me. Impact, excuse me. Many of them are cheap and short and easy to read, and they're filled with practical teachings on getting closer to God and living for him. And as you start engaging in the right actions, actions that mature you spiritually and help you change your thinking in godly ways, your whole life is going to change. You're going to change. And I don't mean that to sound scary. It's just a simple truth. What you want will change. How you want to spend your time will change. Your desires will change. You'll learn more and more about God's directions. And in this way, following directions is a gradual following God's directions is a natural process and you start wanting to follow them rather than forcing yourself in the flesh to do so. And I know some people do have issues with behaviors they want to change and then they feel condemnation when they mess up or they think that they're, it's too hard or they're not going to make it. Don't let this happen to you. Just spend more time doing the right things and trusting the process. Your mind and desires will change and the desire for old things will fall away. Now, we should briefly discuss stopping certain behaviors as sometimes we can all agree certain behaviors should be immediately stopped. As you pray and as you read God's word, 
What area of your life do you keep thinking about? Where do you know that you need to make some changes? You know, sometimes you don't need a word from God. You don't need some strong spiritual impression. You can look and say, oh man, you know, I've got to stop doing this or doing that. I've got to make some changes. You know, if something's obvious or you think God is really telling you to stop, then take the issue to God. Ask God to help you with that area of your life and these choices. Ask God to help you by his Holy Spirit to lose that desire and to start disliking that action. Philippians 2.13 says that God gives us the power and the desire to do his will. And I've prayed that over myself countless times. I think it's a wonderful verse. Pray that over your life, specifically over the areas of your life where you might be struggling. You know, God's spirit is the helper and he is there to help you do the right things and to help you stop doing the wrong things. And, and we should really focus on his presence in our lives as we look at our obedience journey. And just as a real practical step, I think the best help that I've found, you know, when I'm encountering a temptation or when I'm thinking about doing the wrong thing, I need to change what I'm thinking about. If you start thinking about something, you're going to move towards it. You know, and sometimes after a hard day lawyering, I think about going to have a few beers. I never actually do it, but I think about it. And other times, you know, maybe something happens or, or there's some situation. I think about being harsh with my wife about something or, you know, whatever, doing something else I shouldn't do. You know, when you sense the wrong thoughts or mental temptation, force your mind in another direction. Go for a walk with some music on, you know, change the scene, change where you're at, get in the car and go for a drive. Make a change. But I like to go for a walk. I like to turn some music on. And, you know, sometimes I just turn on a television show with completely different subject matter. You know, turn on an episode of The Office or Seinfeld or whatever. Not that those are godly shows, but, you know, just as an example. Do whatever it takes to move your mind away from that action. And all I can say is that has really helped me. You know, you're not going to become perfect at following God's directions immediately. It's going to take time and study and fellowship with God's Spirit. But a significant degree of obedience is available to Christians when we get our minds right and live in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. This is the great message from Romans chapters 7 and 8. Obedience to God's directions can be a process and a journey, but spiritual thinking and living is the recipe for success. True consecration is not about just, you know, religious observance. It's about purity before God so that God can bring you into every aspect of his wonderful plan for your life. Purity can sound complicated or unappealing, but it shouldn't. Purity is about remaining clean from sinful and bad things that are in the world. Purity isn't about not having fun or excitement. Sinful and impure things are dirty. And they'll hurt you. They'll hurt your mind. They'll hurt your life. And they'll keep you from the true fun and the true excitement that God has for you. And, you know, just so we're clear, you know, the life that God has for you is not, you know, some monk-like existence. It's about getting out there and showing his love to the world, walking in wisdom, walking in his power, being a soldier and a champion for the kingdom of God, drawing closer to your creator who loves you more than you can fathom, truly rising to the heights of your existence. Purity and obedience are extremely important parts of that journey, and they will richly bless 
every aspect of your life. You know, I'm going to end by discussing my current life a little bit. And here's some more brutal honesty for you. You know, if the average person looked at my life, they wouldn't see a lot of sin. I mean, I don't know that I really do anything that the world would even consider sin. The vast majority of my issues are internal anger, selfishness, pride, and so on. I've come a long way with those issues as well, but I've still got a ways to go. And a few days ago, I was walking my dog. As we were walking down the sidewalk, I had to take a work phone call, and I didn't hear the bicyclist ring his bell behind me. Now, in my community, we have both a bike lane and a wide sidewalk. After what I guess was a few seconds, I recognized someone incessantly ringing a bicycle bell behind me. And I turned around to see this guy hammering away at his bell, clearly annoyed that we were taking up the whole sidewalk. Well, I was annoyed, and I pointed out that I'm a pedestrian and he should be in the bike lane. Well, he told me that I should walk my dog, and of course my dog was on a leash. He told me I should walk the dog at the dog park. Well, the conversation escalated, and he then said, just wait until you see what I do next time. Well, I didn't really like that comment, and I let him know in no uncertain terms how I felt about his threat. I didn't know if he was going to hurt me or my dog or what, so I started asking with some serious volume what he was going to do. And you can imagine how that might have sounded. And I guess he decided this altercation wasn't a good idea, and he rode off down the sidewalk. But just as a side note, my phone, I didn't turn my phone off, and my phone call was with a woman that I work with practically every day, and I've worked with her for years, and she got to hear all of this. And she definitely heard a side of me that she's never heard before, that fortunately very few people have probably heard. Anyway, I continued walking home, and by the time I got home, I felt really bad. And this is the Holy Spirit's work in my heart. For the most part, I felt right about my position in the argument, but I knew that I should have just moved to the side, apologized for taking up the whole sidewalk, and gone on. That's turning the other cheek. That's staying out of strife. That's walking in love, even when it's hard. So I got in my car, and I found the guy. And I'm sure when he saw me standing by my car on the side of the road, he thought I was there to fight him. I mean, that's the way our conversation had gone. Anyway, he stopped and we made peace. So my friends, I've still got a ways to go and the Holy Spirit is still working on me. Now, of course, the rest of the day, the devil was working on me too. You know, look at you. You're still so carnal. You're never going to make it. You're never going to measure up. But fortunately, I know the truth. None of those comments were from God. I had to remind myself of God's unconditional love and acceptance for me and that I've come a long way. God loves me even in my failures, even at my worst, and I'm still totally in God's grace and mercy. Doesn't mean I'm proud of what I did or that I feel good about it in any way, but it doesn't impact my relationship with God. And he still loves me and he still has a wonderful plan for my life. Many times have I been tempted to make the wrong decision when it comes to strife or conflict. And many times I've done better than I did the other day. Even more encouraging, often I'm not tempted to act incorrectly at all. I recognize now that God loves everyone and I can often remember his love for others, even when I feel they are mistreating me. I'm very grateful for that work of the Holy Spirit in my heart. In your obedience journey, you will experience the work of the Holy Spirit in you as well.
You start wanting to love people and wanting to follow God's directions. As your wants change, your mind, body, and spirit begin moving towards unity. And obedience to God becomes natural, becomes part of your nature. Obedience to God, therefore, becomes easier. It becomes your default response and method of operating. That's an awesome place. And with God's help, we can all get there. And that is when you really step into an obedience that is both fruitful and joyful as it's meant to be. My friends, thank you for listening to me today. I pray that this message blesses you. I'm always happy to talk to you, pray with you. Just just reach out, let me know. God bless you, and we'll talk again soon.